and I know that we're in the midst of COVID and everything, but uh, it's a national effort for us to try to get people back in church. And I'm hoping that the Lord by that time is going to uh, turn this thing around and we're going to be better off. But little cards back there for you just to invite somebody to come to church with you. If you're able to come on the 19th, you invite somebody to come with you. It's a very simple thing to hand them and let them know that you'd love for them to be in church. I don't think there's anything sweeter that a person can do than to ask somebody to be at church with them, to come to church with them. Because it's saying that we want to include you in who we are, people that we love, and the place where we worship God. And that little thing might be the gesture that would bring them to church that day. Now, for those of you who are new here or haven't been in our study much, we are studying uh, called the faith life, the faith life. And we've been through three lessons of this. And just to give you a summary of those three lessons, if you're here and you've been through those, you know that the first lesson was about that, that faith is essential. It's not just essential for our salvation. It is essential for our Christian experience. It's something that Jesus said, or the Word of God says, that without faith it's impossible to please Him. It, it, the Word of God also tells us that, that the work of God, what is the work of God? To believe in Him whom He has sent. And it tells us that when the Son of Man returns, that He is going to be looking for faith upon the earth. In other words, faith is absolutely essential in your Christian life, in your Christian journey. The second part, or the second lesson, dealt with our first part of the definition. I shared with you that uh, very few words in the Word of God are defined by the Word of God. But faith is one of those words. And if, if God actually defines a word, don't you think it's important for us to understand it and know what it is? And so we looked at the first part of that definition, and that is faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. That's the first part. Substance, that word in Greek, is, is the word for a title deed. It's a title deed of ownership. It shows that I possess it, I have it. And faith is that. Faith is that title deed or that absolute assurance that I have what things are hoped for. And remember we talked about what the word hope in the Greek language is, how it is different from the word hope that we have or we use. Our, our word hope is we'd like for it to happen, but there's a shadow of doubt it might not happen. But in the New Testament, in the Greek language, the word hope is absolute assurance. So when it says things hoped for, it says those things that are absolutely assured to us. And what things in the Word of God are absolutely assured to us? The promises of God. The promises of God. And, and God has given to us in His Word hundreds and hundreds of promises. We're going to be talking about those promises tonight and how important the promises of God are. But then last week we came and we looked at the second part of that definition. That definition is found in Hebrews 11.1, 1, you remember. And that second part is, is that it's the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. The evidence or conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith gives to you the capacity and capability to be able to see into the unseen world. There is an unseen world out there. It's called the spiritual world. And the spiritual world is real. The spiritual world is actually more real than the physical world because the spiritual world will last longer than the physical world. And it says that faith gives to us the capacity whereby we understand that there are things that are unseen. And you remember we gave you two illustrations, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. 
First of those was Elisha with his servant. Remember whenever they came and the Syrian army came and surrounded and, and the, the uh, servant gets up and he sees him and he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha says, You don't have to be afraid. He says, Greater are those with us than those with them. And that servant probably wondered, What in the world? Is, I, I see those with them. I don't see those with us. Until Elisha prays and he asks and he says, God, open up his eyes that he might see. He might see. See what? See in the spiritual world. And whenever God opened up his eyes, he saw these chariots of fire. He, he saw this army of fire that's surrounding them and that saved them from the enemy. Elisha had seen that. He'd seen the unseen world. The New Testament illustration was the life of Stephen. You remember? Stephen, as he was dying, it says he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and he be, he's able to see into heaven. And he goes into heaven with peace in his heart, even though he's being stoned to death. He goes with peace in his heart because he sees the unseen world that he's about to enter into. That's what faith is all about. It is the evidence or conviction of things unseen, that invisible world. So we're in uh, chapter, or the, the lesson number four. If you pick that up, everybody get a lesson? Have you got your lessons? If not, if not, there may be some back there, but you'll need that. And it's, it's talking about receiving a word or promise from God. This, this is so very essential about living the life of faith is receiving a promise from the word of God. Every time I start out with an illustration to help you to understand how God grew me up or was growing me up in my journey of faith, and I want to share another one of those uh, one, I told you that probably one of our most difficult things to grasp and understand is that God can take care of us financially. Amen? I mean, I, I don't understand why that is a struggle for us, uh, but many of us struggle, wondered if God can really take care of us, if God will really be faithful to His promises. And I share with you that passage in Corinthians, whenever Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he told them that God is able to supply all your needs. Remember that? To meet every need and to give to you that which is sufficient that you might be able to participate in every good work. In other words, what, what that passage said was this. Every time that I want you to do something and to participate in something good, and remember good is God's work, any time that I want you to participate in something good, I'm going to provide you the means whereby you will do that. I will always provide you that means. I will always be sufficient for you. Now, that's one thing to read that. It's another thing to live that. Amen? And so I gave you one illustration last week. I'm going to give you another one uh, tonight. Whenever uh, between our first pastor and our second pastor, we were in evangelism or revival work. And that revival work meant I went out and I would preach at places and I would come back in and, I, and then I worked a secular job. I worked my family, actually, uh, to help to raise our, to, to take care of our family. And re revival work was tough. I mean, you're gone a long time, and, and you're, you're sometimes on and sometimes off. It wasn't for my regular job that my family gave to me. I couldn't, I couldn't have made ends meet. So one time, I was, gonna, I was preaching at a Bible conference, which was just up the road from where, I was, where we were living. And I had worked all week long in a secular job, and I had taken and put the money in the bank so that we could pay our bills, and I kept out $100. Now, this is a few years ago, because you know that $100 doesn't buy many groceries today, does it? A bag full, about all. But, but at that time, $100 was pretty good, pretty good grocery money. So 
on my way up to this Bible conference, it was on a Friday night, I put our money to make, kept out $100 for our grocery money, for our grocery money. Well, I went into this Bible conference. Have you ever been to a Bible conference? There's all kinds of preachers that are preaching. So you go in there and you sit down and you wait for your turn. So I went in there and I was listening to this guy preach and he stood up and he was from Montana, I think it was, out west somewhere. And he began to tell the story about where, what their needs and what their situation was. And when he started tell, talking about his needs, God started talking to me. And God said, uh, you need to give him that $100. Now, I told y'all before, I can, I can argue with God a lot. I'm sitting there on that front pew, and, and God says, you need to give him that $100. And I'm saying, Lord, that's our grocery money. You know, and that's, our, that's what we're going to be buying groceries. I don't, we don't have groceries. Got grocery money. You need to give him that $100. You need to give, I just can't give him that $100. So, man, after I got through, and I, he got through, and I preached that night, I walked up to him afterwards. I took that $100. That's all I had in my wallet. $100 bill, and I said, I said, the Lord told me to give this to you. I said, I, I don't know, but the Lord told me to give it. He said, well, thank you. So I went home, and, and uh, I was coming back to that Bible conference to preach again on Saturday night. Okay, so I went home, and on that Saturday, I went out to the mail. Okay, now you got to understand, I gave, away, I gave away our grocery money, okay? No grocery money. I went out to the, to the mailbox, and I opened up the mail, ma- mailbox, and there was a letter to me from the IRS. Now, I don't know about you, but usually when you get a letter from the IRS, that is not good. That, that is not, it's not good news, okay? So, so I, I went out, opened that letter to the IRS, and it was a check from the IRS. Now, think about this. It was a check. That check was for $168. $168. You know what this says? It says they went back and they audited some of my gifts, some of my contributions or my taxes for a few years, and I had overpaid, and they were sending me this $168. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever received a check from the IRS where they sent you $168, where they audited, and you didn't ask for it? Me neither. Me neither. But let me, let me show you what's so neat about that, Okay. God knew that he wanted me to give that $100 on that Friday night. I had no idea what was going to be happening. Before 24 hours was up, God gave me back $168. Okay, $168. Now, I went that night, and that guy said, that guy was in tears. He came, he said, I want to tell you, he said, you'll never know what that $100 meant to my family because we had all his needs. I said, brother, don't worry about it. God's already given it back to me. He's arguing. Now, now, let me show you the neat thing about that, okay? Somewhere along the way, somebody at the IRS said, we need to look at this guy's books. Now, think about that. Out of the millions of people. Hey, look at his book. When they look at those books, I have overpaid, all right? And then they generate a check, make that check out, put it in the mail, and send that check to me, and it arrives at my home on the Saturday after I gave the $100 on Friday. Now, there's no way to explain that except God. Amen? And God was revealing to me, just trust me. Just trust me. Do what I tell you to do. When I tell you to do it, I will take care of you. See, money's really an easy thing for God. Money's really no problem with God at all. I mean, when Jesus needed tax money, he just went fishing, didn't he? Amen. <laughs> All you have to do is just go fishing. 
I mean, and what you, but what we have to learn is we have to trust the Lord. And he'll move heaven and earth and the IRS, if need be, to be able to show himself faithful. Amen? Amen. All right, look at this lesson number four. Receiving a word or promise from God. Receiving a word promise from God. Listen to what it says. Many of you have exercised faith in asking Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. I hope that all of you have exercised your faith believing and asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Therefore, you are a child of God by faith. You what? You claimed His promise and you experienced His saving touch. Every one of us are saved by the promises of God. Did you know that? What, what is a promise that we would hold to that would be our promise of salvation? What about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, that means you, if you will believe in Him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. Now, now, what is the power of that unto salvation? Because God promised if we believe in Jesus and we ask Him to be our Lord and our Savior, we will not perish, but we will be saved eternally. That's based on the promise of God. A God who is a holy God, a God who cannot lie, all right? So when He makes that promise, it is a sure thing. And how do you know you're going to heaven? Because God promised it. God promised Here, Here's another promise. What about this promise in, in Romans chapter 10? Uh, when it says, yeah, 10, 13, when it says this, For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anybody who what? Calls upon the name of the Lord desiring to be saved. What's the promise? They shall be saved. Who made that promise? Who made that promise? God made that promise. God's word is in that promise in God's word made by God. And therefore, whenever we believe that and we called upon him, he saved us. So already in our lives, we have experienced salvation because we have claimed the promises of God. You see what I'm saying? The promise of God is how we are saved. Now, the same way that we're saved by the promises of God, that's how we are to live in relationship to the promises of God. Listen to that focal verse that we started out to study with when it's in Colossians 2.6. Colossians 2.6 says it this way, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, how? By faith in the promises of God. As you received it by faith in the promises of God, so walk in Him or live in Him. How do you do it? By believing in the promises of God. By exercising my faith in the promises of God. Now, just stop there for just a minute and think about it. The strength, the strength of faith is not faith. The strength of faith is the object of faith, Right? The strength of faith is not faith itself. The strength is the object of faith. Let me give you a practical illustration. If we were up north, not where we live, but we were up north, 
and it was the dead of winter, and you were in St. Paul, and you were wanting to go to Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, you can just walk across, you can just walk across Mississippi River. Do you know that? You, you can even drive across it. You know? Now, most of us in the South, we don't feel real comfortable about that. We don't. I mean, we don't like walking on water or on ice too much about that stuff. We just don't do it. Because why? We don't, we don't live in that, in that era, in that area. But whenever you live there, they just drive on it, cut holes in it, fish through it, do everything about it. But let me ask you a question. If I were up there and I'm anxious as can be, but I walk out on the ice, and somebody else who lives there walks out there and they're just relaxing all day long. But we're both, we're both up above the water and we're both walking on the ice. Which one of us is safer? We're both safe. But which one of us is more relaxed about it? The one who knows the ice better. But hold on a second. Is it my faith or their faith that keeps us up? Neither one. What keeps us above the water? The thickness of the ice. In other words, it is the object of our faith that provides the strength. So what's the object of our faith? God's word. A God who cannot lie speaks to us a promise from his word, and you can bank on that. The power of that faith is the object of the faith. All right? Listen what it says. We know by definition that faith is the title deed of ownership of things hoped for which are the promises of God. Therefore, faith is going to start with a promise from God. That's important. That's why I underline it twice for you. You live a life of faith based on a promise from God. The only way that you actually exercise your faith is you get a promise from God. Okay? It has to be based on a promise from God. Now, let me stop and explain this to you. What is the difference between faith and positive thinking? Now, positive thinking is a good thing. I think you ought to be positive as you can. But there's no power in positive thinking. The people say, well, if you just think positive and you just keep thinking positive, you think positive, it's going to happen. No, no, that's not. Positive thinking is based on your power to, to think positively. But faith is not based on positive thinking. Faith is based on the promises of God. The power of positive thinking is just what I'm doing as much as I can do it. Faith is based on the promises of God. That's the big difference, okay? That's the big difference. Now, based on that and based on what it says here, so faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ in Romans 10, 17. Listen to what that says. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Where does faith come? How does, how does your faith come? From hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of Christ. So let's break that definition down. Look at the, at the progression. First of all, faith comes. Faith is a gift. It is the ability to believe and be assured of the promise. I call it the grace of faith. The grace of faith principle. Grace is God giving it to us, right? And whenever you need the faith, God graces you with that faith to believe the promises of God. That is a gift that God gives to you. I'm, I want to tell you, when God speaks to your heart and, and you understand he just gave you a promise and you know that's a promise for living God, I'm going to tell you, it's just birthed inside of you is the ability to believe. 
Everybody else may say, that can't happen. Everybody else say, no, that's not going to take place. No, I think you're wrong. But it doesn't matter what they say. Inside of your heart, God has birthed faith. You just believe it. I, I told you about my dad's salvation. I had people everywhere saying, I don't know if your dad's going to get saved or not. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Even my mama said, I don't know if your dad's going to get saved or not. It didn't matter what any of them said. God had told me my dad was going to be saved and birthed inside of me the faith to believe it. It's the grace of faith. All right? Look at the next thing. It comes from hearing. We must be open to hearing from God. How do we hear from God? Through reading His Word. Why do we tell you to read God's Word every day? Why do we tell you to stay in God's Word? Because in God's Word is where you're going to get the promise from God. That, that promise from God is going to be found in God's Word. All right? It's just going to be there. Somewhere in God's Word. It may be in a, a very inconspicuous or peculiar place, but there's going to be a Word for you from God. All right? So reading the Word through the preached Word. Why do you come listen to the preacher preach? Because it might amaze you that as the preacher preaches, God speaks a word to you. God speaks a word to your heart that you need. That word of faith. All right? Or memorizing scripture. Why memorize scripture? Because God may use that memorized scripture to give you that word of promise when you don't even have your Bible around. Your Bible's not there anymore, but the Bible's inside of you. The memorized word. And there are so many other places, but you've got to find the promises of God. Looking for the promise of God. Hearing a word from God. That's how you do it. Now, look what it says about the word of Christ. The word of Christ, it comes from the word concerning Christ. Where is the word concerning Christ found? In Time magazine? Not usually. In Sports Illustrated? Not usually. Where did you say, Miss Ann? The Bible. 99 years of wisdom, right there. The Bible. The Bible. Amen. Listen, you get a word from Christ by looking in the Bible. Now, turn over, because this is the important part of this verse. This brings us to the Word. In Romans 10, 17, the Word. What does that mean? Well... What does it mean when Paul says the word? And how do you receive the word from God? There are two words in the Greek language that are translated word. The first of those words is logos. Now stop there for just a minute. God, whenever he wrote the New Testament, he specifically, it was in, in the perfect time when he had his scripture recorded because he had the Greek language and the Greek language was a precise language. It meant what it said. It said what it meant. All right? It was the best language to communicate the truth of God and the promises of God. It's amazing. It really is amazing. For instance, the Greek language is so more precise than the English language. English language, our language is very, very ambiguous. Right? I, I just give you an illustration. You've heard this before probably, but let's just take the word love. Okay? In, in the Greek language, koinonia Greek, there are three words for love. In classical Greek, there's actually four words for love. But let's just take koinonia Greek, which is the Greek 
of the, of the New Testament. There are three languages for love. One of those words is eros, one is, is phileo, and the other is agape, all right? And each one of those mean three very different things. Agape is the word for God's love, all right? For God's love. When it says, for God so loved the world, it's the word agape. Eros and phileo love are loves that are produced by man. But because they're produced by man, they're, they have the qualities of man. They're, they're conditional and they're temporary. They can be there today, gone tomorrow. But agape love is not like that. Agape love is the eternal, unconditional love of God. But wait a minute. Those are, those are the words in the Greek language, but for, for us Americans who speak English, our word is love. Right? I love. I love my dog. Not really. <laughs> I, I, I love a hot dog. Not really. <laughs> I love my wife. Really? Well, now, wait a minute. Wait, wait just a second. I used the same word, but do you think those words mean the same thing? Well, my wife hopes she ranks above the dog or the hot dog. Amen? And we know those words mean something different, but not in the Greek language. The Greek language is very precise. It says what it means. It means what it says. So there are two words for the word word in the Greek language. The first of those words is the word logos. Logos is ordinarily considered the written word of God. Logos was used by John to describe Jesus in John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the, fle the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Logos is the written word of God. Jesus was called the written word of God because he was there for people to hold and to behold and to hold on to and to relate to. He was the Logos of God. This right here is the Logos of God, both Old Testament and New Testament. This is the written word of God. Whenever you put this under your arm and walk out with it, you are carrying the Logos of God, all right? The powerful Logos of God. That's what it is. But wait a minute. Whenever he talks about in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ or the word of God, does he use the word Logos? The answer to that is no. He uses another word. So what is that word? It's right here. The second word is the word rhema. Write that in your blank. R-H-E-M-A. Okay, that's where you fill in the blank. The word is rhema. Rhema is considered the spoken word of God. It has been said that rhema is logos made alive and personal as God speaks it to the heart of man. Now think about that. Rhema is the word, the logos, that's written when God takes that written word and he speaks it into your heart. And when he speaks it into your heart, it becomes alive. It becomes alive to you. It, it does something in you. It ministers to you some way. It's, it's just unbelievable what 
it does in our heart and in our life. And, and, and I know that all of you who are saved and experienced that, you remember whenever you read that John 3.16 or you read that Romans passage, you read some, and you remember that burning in your heart, how you had to get saved because God spoke to you? I mean, you didn't just get saved because you read that. Well, I like that passage. It sounds pretty good. You didn't do that. You came under conviction that you were a sinner. You came under conviction you needed God. How that? It was the rhema of God. The rhema of God is how you got saved. And, and that rhema of God is, is what we need to have when it comes to finding a word from God that creates faith in us, that causes us to live by faith. It's the rhema of God. Listen to what it says. I hope that you've experienced a time in your spiritual life beyond salvation, where God's word, the Logos, has come alive to you. And you heard a special word, the rhema, for your situation. One of the greatest joys in life is to hear from God. You hear from His Spirit, and it is the rhema of God. There's nothing like it to experience and hear the rhema of God. Paul used the word rhema when discussing faith because he knew that faith comes from hearing God. How would Paul know this? Because he had spent the first part of his life focused on the written word, logos, and he was without Christ. Paul was first who? Saul. Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church. But you know what he says? He was a student of Gamaliel, who was one of the greatest Jewish teachers. And he was, he was the highest of his class among those people of the Sanhedrin. He memorized the Logos of God. When he was Saul, he probably knew more of the Logos of God than we ever imagined knowing. But he was persecuting the church of the living God. Why? Because he had the Logos, but he didn't have the Rhema. Uh, until what? It was not until Paul heard Jesus on the road to Damascus that he believed in Jesus as the Son of God. Paul's life is a testimony that faith comes from hearing, hearing the Rhema of God. What happened on the Damascus road? That Logos became Rhema. <laughs> that Logos became Rhema in his heart. And brought him to salvation. And the rest of Paul's life was living by the rhema of God. Not just the logos, it's whenever Christ brought it alive. That's what the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart and life. He's the writer of the word of God. And therefore he's the explainer of the word of God. He's the giver of the promises of God. And he imparts the promises of God to you. And, and that's what faith is all about. Getting the promises of God in my heart. Having God speak to me in my life. Now, now, almost every one of you, I dare say, have had that experience. Have you ever been reading in your Bible, your daily Bible reading, and, and you just kind of need something from God, and something jumps out of the page? I mean, it just jumps out of the page and grabs hold of your heart. And it's just like God had read your mail. He, he knew exactly what you needed right then. And he spoke to you. Maybe he gave you a word of wisdom. Maybe a word of knowledge. Maybe a word of encouragement. Maybe to overcome fear. Whatever it might be. But God spoke to you. And, and you knew it was God speaking to you. It wasn't just daily Bible reading. 
This was God bringing his word alive. There's nothing like that. That's what the life of faith is all about. It's all about searching God's word and getting the rhema of God. Now, look on the next page. How do you receive a rhema from God? You must search the logos, that written word, and allow him to transform or use the word illuminate the written word logos into the living word rhema. Now, what I mean by that is don't go out here and sit on some hill somewhere and say, God, I, I need for you to tell me. I'm wanting you to tell me something. Please, Lord, tell me something. I gotta do. That's not the way to get a word from God. If you want to get a word from God, take the written word of God and get in the written word of God and ask God to speak to you and to bring it alive to you, okay? He will do that, all right? Now, listen. How do you know when you have received a rhema from God? Notice what I underlined. You will know. You will know. You will, you will never, ever have to worry about that. You will know when you hear a word from God. What did Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice and follow me. They know my voice. They wouldn't open up the gate to somebody. They know my voice. You know the voice of God. You know the voice of God. Now, too many of us are, have, lack confidence about that. And we, well, I don't know if it's God or if it's me. I'm not sure God, you know. I don't. No, you know the voice of God. Just have confidence. Listen, have faith that God who speaks will speak to you. I hear people all the time say, well, I know that God speaks. He just doesn't speak to me. Well, why in the world would God who speaks not speak to you? Why would, why would that happen? That, that that's not true. God who speaks wants to speak to you, okay? And he, he wants you to hear things, and he has all kinds of things he wants you to know. That's a, he, he saved us for relationship. Well, why in the midst of relationship would he not have fellowship with us? He does. So don't let the old enemy steal away the privilege of hearing a word from God because you don't think God speaks to you. He speaks, and he'll speak to you. Now, here's some suggestions. Make a list of situations, needs, challenges, desires, etc. What, what do you need? What's a need in your life? What do you want God to do? That's why you need a journal in your prayer life. You need to write down, I need God to do this. I'm asking God to show up for this. I, I, I'm praying for God to do this. You need to write those things down. Do you know why you need to write them down? Because then you start looking for a promise of what God says he's going to do. And whenever God gives you a promise, he says, I'm going to take care of that. Just write that promise down. Here's the request. Now write the promise down. God said he's going to do it. And then you know what you get to write next? You get to write the date of where God answered it. Amen? It's going to be answered because he said he's going to do it. It's not going to be answered necessarily the next day. It can be a year, two years. It can be five years, ten years. It can be a long time. But you can write down whenever he answered that which he promised you to do. So every need you have, instead of, here's a good suggestion. Instead of worrying about it, now, I know none of you worry. It's, it's Wednesday night crowd. People never worry. <laughs> right? right? Isn't that right? It's that Sunday only crowd. They're the, they're the ones who worry. But, but instead of you worrying, if it happened to sneak up on you one time and you got to worrying, worrying doesn't help anything. Okay, it doesn't help anything. But if you'll let that worry of your heart take you to the word of God and search out what it is that's causing you to trouble, have your heart trouble, God, you may be surprised how God gives you a word about that situation, how he's going to move and how he's going to work. Now, I want to tell you, uh, whenever you first start doing this, it's almost like God will just tell you something almost immediately and the next day it's answered. 
as you journey on longer, sometimes it's a longer period between the time. But when you first get started, like, man, the Lord told me that, and it got answered yesterday. You know, that's exciting. It's exciting. Now, that's what else it says. Keep the list with you as you pray and read the Word of God. Before reading, breathe a prayer to God expressing your desire to receive a promise. Lord, I, I need a word from you about this. Would you speak to my heart about this particular situation, this need? Listen, three. As you read, God will speak to you. He will speak to you about the needs and desires you have. He knows more about your needs and desires than you do, and he wants to talk to you about it where you live, where you live. You know, I, I, I miss my mom a lot because my, my, my dad and I are very close, but my mom was the one that I always talked to. Whenever we'd drive, go home, you know, late at night, we'd get up, my mom and I'd get up real early. And I'd, I'd have a list of all these things I'd talk to my mom about. Did you ever have a chance to talk to your mom like that or talk to somebody like that? You had, you, she didn't really have any answer or anything, but you got to talk to her about it. Well, better than mom is Jesus, amen? Because <laughs> he can actually do something about it. All mom does is join in the worry. But, but Jesus actually can take care of the worry, okay? So just remember that. Be persistent and patient because sometimes he waits a while to give you a promise. Why would that happen? Why, why would God wait a while to give you a promise? His timing? What else? Teaching us something? Yes, yeah, a lot of things you'll learn while you're waiting for God to give a promise. Okay, you'll learn a lot of other stuff. But here's the thing. You ever thought it that God says, man, I'm telling you what, they're seeking me more right now than they usually do. If I give them the answer, they're going to quit seeking me. Hey, think about that. We're sitting here like a starving man needing something. We're after God, man. We're searching God's word and everything. And we get the promise. Oh, yeah. So maybe that's why he delays a little bit. But sometimes it's going to take a while. It's not going to happen immediately all the time. When you hear him, you will know it. All right? You will know it. If it is true that God gives promises to his children and works to fulfill those promises, we should find illustrations in the Bible, right? So what biblical illustrations do you know where God gave a promise to a person and then brought it to pass? I'll let you fill that out, but I'll give you a few. He promised Abraham that he would give him a land, the promised land. He didn't even know where it was. Didn't tell him how to get there. But did he get the promised land? They live in it to this day. Amen. He told Abraham and Sarah, told Abraham he would be the father of the nations as much as the sand of the seashore. And Sarah was barren at that time. Did Abraham have children? He sure did. He's not only the father of the Jews, he's the father of the Arabs because of the mistake with Hagar. You remember that? Sarah was told, by this time next year, you're going to have a baby. What did she do? She laughed. You know what the name of that baby is? His name is, is Isaac. You know what that means? Laughter. Every time he, she said his name, she remembered she laughed when God gave her that promise. What about this? Joseph was promised when he was a boy he was going to be a ruler. Did he become a ruler? Oh, yes, did he ever become a ruler over Egypt. He, David, when he was a shepherd boy, the least among his family, was told, you're going to be the king. Did he become the king? Yes, the man after God's own heart. John the Baptist, whenever they needed, God needed somebody to wake up the world after 400 years of silence. He takes Zacharias and Elizabeth. And Zacharias, remember him in there burning incense? He's scared to death. And who shows up but an angel to do what? Say, you're going to have a boy. And he said, I don't believe it. So because you don't believe it, you're not going to get to talk. <laughs> he, he was quiet the whole time. He didn't get to tell anybody about his baby coming. But did he have a baby? 
Oh, Elizabeth had a baby named John the Baptist. He got to rejoice over that. What about old Simeon? God promised him that he would not see death until he would hold him aside. Did he hold him? Absolutely he held him. See what I'm saying? Paul, whenever he was told, you're going to go to Rome. But wait a minute. They're going to have a shipwreck. But what did Paul say? Don't worry about it. Not anybody's going to die as long as you stay with me. Because God said, I'm going to Rome. Whenever he gets to the shore, what happens? He's picking up sticks to make a fire, and what happens? A serpent bites him. And all of a sudden, he's going to die. He's going to die. Did he die? He just shook it off in the fire. Went on. Why? Because he was going to Rome. Did he go to Rome? He absolutely did. The word of God is faithful. The promises of God are true. And what he says to his people, he will do. I want to give you one last illustration. It's found in Isaiah chapter 51. It's a personal illustration with me. But in Isaiah 51, I'll tell you very quickly. When we were in evangelism for about three years, and God, in two years into it, God told me it was time to go back to the pastorate. But whenever you go into evangelism and you're not in a church, it's hard to get back into a pastorate, okay? So, man, I had church. They'd, they'd contact me, talk to me just a minute, and then they would, wouldn't be interested in some. Some would call me, look like I'm going to go somewhere. I got really, really discouraged. It looked like, man, I don't think I'm ever going to get back to ministry. I got to a low, low point. I got to such a low point, I actually told God, God, if you're not going to let me preach, just take the call away from me and let me be a plumber or electrician or something. But don't keep having me a call to preach, and I don't get to preach, you know. I was at a very, very low point. I was at such a low point that one night I woke up about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I went in and sat in my recliner, and, and I just flopped my Bible open and just started reading the Bible. And I flopped the Bible open to Isaiah 50, 49, 50. I finally get over to Isaiah 51, and, and this is what God says to me, okay. So Isaiah 51, think about that. How many of y'all did your devotion reading from Isaiah 51 today? Oh, don't see any hands. I, you know, we don't usually read over there too much. Listen to what Isaiah 51 verse 14 says. I had told Lynn, I feel like I am in a prison. I feel like I'm in a spiritual prison. Here's what the word said to me. The exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. Now that might not mean a thing. Do you know what that meant to me? God said, I know where you are. You're not going to die where you are, and before long, I'm going to let you out of prison. I woke her up about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I woke her up and said, Hun, I said, wait just, uh, just a minute. She, she knew this had to be spiritual. I was waking her up at 5 o'clock. I, I said, Hun, i got to tell you something. I said, we're not going to die here. <laughs> we're, 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 we're not going to die in the dungeon. God said he's going to set us free. Now, it was about six more months before I ever got called to a church. But I never worried about it from, one, from that point on. I never was concerned about it. I just knew that whatever was going to happen was going to happen, and God worked it out. When I finally got to that church, I realized the reason I couldn't be there. The reason I couldn't be there because they already had a pastor. God had to move that pastor on somewhere else, so it opened for me to get there, see? God's always doing all kinds of things. But what ministered to my heart was I wasn't worried about it anymore because he said he knew exactly where we were and knew exactly what he would do to set us free. We wouldn't be lacking bread. That's what it means to get a promise from God. So whenever you're searching, when you're needing, when you have that situation, don't let it be the last place. Let it be the first place. You're looking at God's word, seeking a promise from God. For when you get the rhema of God, it will birth into you faith. You'll just, you'll just be able to believe it. It's a miracle. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for truth. In Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.